Hey guys, we're back with Pete Singer with the rest of his journey with Grace and his experience with spiritual abuse. And it's not always easy to do either. No. You're absolutely right. It's challenging. It's hard. Um... Is trauma-informed churches growing, or is this is there still a lot of resistance? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it is growing, and there's still a lot of resistance. Um, I'm sorry. Go yeah. ahead. I mean, I've seen I've seen some churches. You know, they they take and they acknowledge it, and they're trying to work and you know trying to implement something. Uh for trauma but it's very messy um and then others are just like it doesn't even exist yeah um i tell you um last november i was presenting at a conference um and it was uh, it was a forensic sciences conference um, that was focused on child abuse and intimate partner violence. Um, and the first two days of the conference were, were focused on professionals in, in this work. So law enforcement, child protection workers, victim advocates, forensic interviewers, medical personnel, and such. That was the first two days. And so I did a presentation on during those first two days to those professionals. But then day three of this conference, which I think is just amazing, day three of this conference, they invite faith leaders in. And um, so the faith leaders come in, and I gave a couple of presentations on, on day three. And one of those presentations was taking SAMHSA's six principles of trauma-informed practice, safety, trustworthiness and transparency, peer support, collaboration and mutuality, empowerment, voice and choice, and humility in the face of historical, cultural, and gender factors that are just absolutely inseparable from trauma. My presentation was saying these six principles are actually scriptural. And this is what it would look like if we would actually take them and apply them in our churches. I got done with that presentation and somebody came up to me and she said, I grew up in the church. And because of all that I experienced growing up in the church, as soon as I was an adult, I left the church. She was in her mid-40s, and she said to me, I think this is the first time I've actually met a real Christian. And she said that not because of anything about me, but because of the power of recognizing that those ideals actually are how the church is supposed to operate. They are 
it comes back again to our identity. And so I think there are people outside the church who may have left the church or who may have never been in the church that when they see that actually show up in the church are like, oh, well, maybe. I think, but that is not why we do it. I also think that I am more frequently getting a call from a, a leader within a church, and I would say that I've noticed this even within the year and a half that I've been at Grace. Very often when we get a call, um, often when we get a call from a church saying, this happened, we just got an allegation, or we just found out there's a known sex offender, or we just had a minor-on-minor situation, or we just found out about intimate partner violence or uh, in occurring in our church, what do we do? It is often, we want to know what to do because we don't want to look bad. We want to know what to do because we've seen how some churches have shown up looking really bad in the media lately. And we don't want to be that church. But I have seen an increasing number of churches in the last year and a half call up not saying, help us manage our image, but instead saying, people have been hurt and we think we've messed up how we've been caring for them. And we don't want to hurt them anymore. Can you help us understand this so we don't hurt them anymore? Can you help us understand this so that we can actually protect people? Can you help us understand this so that we can truly reflect the heart of God? And I would say even in the year and a half that I've been at Grace, I've seen a noticeable uptick in the number of churches that are calling, saying, help us do this because it's right, rather than help us do this so that we don't look bad. And to me, that is growth in churches who accept this idea of we need to understand trauma and respond well. On the flip side, we still do have churches call up and say, help us manage uh, how we look. Help us to not look bad. And we still do have people that say, well, because grace is speaking up for those who don't have power, Grace must, therefore, um, be endorsing just a social gospel and no real care about the gospel. Or, um, Grace is clearly founded on uh, critical theory. Or, um, Grace is based on neo-Marxism. And so, there are still people that don't understand... That no, actually, we're trying to base this on who Jesus is and and who we are in Christ. Um, I, I haven't actually checked to see how Marx fits into that. Um, but, 
Yeah, so I think that, yes, there is growth. I think that there is still resistance from people who have not understood that this isn't about anything other than Jesus cared for people who were hurt. Jesus protected people who were hurt. Jesus spoke out against those in authority who were abusing their power. And he spoke out mostly against religious leaders when it came to that. Yes. And, and, and so there are people who have not reached that understanding yet. And there are people who have. So I would say yes. There is growth of this in the church. I mean, I think even just of a of a, a recent church where we did an investigation and we encourage when we do an investigation with the church, we encourage the church to collaborate with survivors of the abuse to determine what to do with publicizing the report. Um, there are some situations where where victims truly and survivors truly do not want that report public. Or if it is going to be public, I want you to um, take out any reference of me whatsoever because I'm really concerned that people are going to figure out who I am. And so we encourage churches, work with the survivors. If you know who the survivors are, work with them. If you don't know who the survivors are, we will help convey some of their wishes as to uh, publicizing this report. But we encourage publicizing the report consistent with survivor wishes. Um, but even just as an example, there is a church who there were very public allegations about abuse that had occurred decades ago. And we put in that uh, while it was not a slam dunk, the allegations do appear credible. Um, and the church... And we also said, in the years since that, we see that you as a church have taken some very significant steps. Very significant steps towards increasing safety and taking better care of survivors. So the church put, checked with survivors, put the report up on their website for everybody to see and also made it very clear the report says that these allegations are credible. Went on to describe how the allegations actually, just statistically speaking, usually are and went on to say We've tried, 
And there are a couple of things that, so one, a couple of things that Grace said that we botched. Yes, we did. And we're trying to make them better. A couple of things that Grace said we did well. Don't get arrogant. Don't say we've done a couple of things well, so we're fine. Because maybe we did a couple of things well, but we've got work to do. And so we're not going to go sit on our laurels after being told that we did, a, that we did some things well. That is a church that has a heart that will be open to being a trauma, a more trauma-informed church. Because that's a church that says we're going to take the black eye because we need to care for survivors. We're going to take the black eye because we need to protect people. And when we do get it right, we're not going to brag about it. We're not going to boast about it. We're not going to say, great, we've arrived. We're going to recognize that you never fully arrive. And we're going to get back to work because we know we still have work to do. Okay, we've got a few more questions. Um, how do we bring this to our church? Like, how do we bring being trauma-informed to our churches? That is going to depend a lot on your church. There are some churches where you mention it to leaders and they're like, Sign me up. Um, back in 2005 is the first time that I had a conversation with a pastor of mine um, and told him, look, I grew up in a church that fostered abuse. We need to do a better job as a church. And here are a couple of ways that I think we can. And my pastor immediately said, you're right, we do. How do we do it? Um, and that, that church actually ended up developing, we, we worked to develop a partnership with Child Protection Services in the state of Minnesota um, to raise awareness within the church and, and to help meet the needs of kids and families in the child protection system. Sometimes you get a pastor like that, where you say, to the church leadership, whether it's the pastor, the elder board, whoever it might be, this is something we have to do. And they immediately say, yes, we do. What's our next step? In a situation like that, you can uh, refer them to books, such as books written by Wade Mullen, books written by Diane Langberg, books like a church called uh, Tove, um, Resources like Rid of My Disgrace, The Cry of Tamar. Um, if you go to the Grace website, you'll see a number of other resources. Resources that they can share, even with uh, to equip parents in speaking to their kids. God Made All of Me, a book about body safety rooted in an understanding of who God is and how God loves us. And, and so now we can use that to help us protect our bodies. Um, so if they're open to it, giving them resources, resources like you'll find, um, on the Grace webpage or on the Grace YouTube page where we have, uh, many videos, uh, 
rain, even up to or going over an hour talking about abuse in churches and how churches can do a better job. Um, so helping them reach those resources. But you may have leadership that to one degree or another is resistant. Some leaders are resistant because they don't know. And they don't know what they don't know. This is not really covered very extensively in seminary. Um, it's, in, in fact, in most seminary programs, it's hardly mentioned at all. And it may even be, we have this class in seminary so that you can be, so that you can protect yourself from all those false allegations that are going to come up. False allegations. So this is not something that is covered very well in seminary. Grace has called for seminary reform. We need to have seminary reform. But it very well could be that you are encountering resistance from your pastor, from the leaders of your church, because they just don't know. And if they know, then perhaps they'll be open to doing something. I would love to have a conversation with any of those pastors. Um, send them our way. Okay. Um Look at some of the resources that we have, other resources that just will help them understand that this is a big deal, that we need to do something about it, that can help chart a path forward. Well, last question. Well, I'm just going to ask one more question um, on top of the ones that I have written out. Um, how has working against spiritual abuse affected your faith? Um, it's absolutely impacted my faith. Um, I would say it has made me more skeptical of faith leaders. It, um, But at the same time, being in this work has given me incredible encouragement as I see faith leaders do well. It's impacted my faith because <clears throat> it's helped me realize that, that, that faith is not about a person, but that faith is about Jesus And so it's really helped to cement that. Um, I mean, because let's be honest, if some of the things that we see from Christian faith leaders actually um, are about Christ, actually are about what Christianity is, um, I'll take a pass, thanks. So... I mean, it's, it's recognizing 
that it's not about those people, but it's about Jesus. It's helped me to realize um, that if a person is struggling with staying involved in the church, that's legitimate. That's not that they have weak faith. That's not that they don't see the truth. Um, that's they're going through something that's real legitimate. Um, that that's going through something that has basis in reality. Um, it's helped my faith because it's helped me recognize the abuse that's out there But in, in my situation, I'm not saying that this is a, a, a realization that everybody should come to, but I'm saying in my situation, as, as I've worked in this field more, I've realized more and more, oh my gosh, I have been surrounded by abuse in the church my entire life. Even when I thought I was out of it, I was still surrounded by it. And I'm not saying that I've been directly victimized my entire life. I'm, I'm not trying to you know, take on and make my story more dramatic or anything like that. But I mean, even like, you know, so I talked about the church that I went to in elementary school. And it wasn't until years and years later that it dawned on me When I was in middle school and high school, they knowingly let a sex offender who was sent home from the mission field because he was having sex with boys be the dean of men and take kids on missions trips to other countries. I'm not aware of any abuse happening uh, with people from that church or school on those missions trips. But you know what? It, it didn't click until years and years and years later that, oh my goodness, I was in a situation that fostered opportunities for abuse. And so, but in my particular situation, it has helped me see that even though I was surrounded by this, um, and I'm not saying this as a cliche, I know it's used as a cliche so much that it sickens me, but I didn't walk through that alone. Um... And I, and I did walk through it feeling God's protection. And again, I'm not saying that everybody needs to come to that point. And I'm not saying, um, yeah, God was with me, so everything's fine. <laughs> um, but for, for me, that is, has been a part of, of my faith 
journey is recognizing that and just more and more recognizing that this is so far beyond anything I could do just so far beyond there's no way that I'm that 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 I can do this it's just it's just beyond me okay um yeah. I guess my last question is, what do you do for self-care? I mean, because this has to take a toll on you, on all aspects of your life, your body, your mental health, your emotional health, your spiritual health. Sure. Um, so I'm not, uh, I'm not currently in therapy, but I've been in therapy before. Um, and um, highly, highly recommend it. Um, even though I'm not in a formal, uh, therapy, going through formal therapy right now, I have, um, a person that I trust who is a pastor and a licensed mental health professional, so that he's both, and we meet on a regular basis, um, because I believe, uh, and, and then because of that, we're able to go and look at things both from a spiritual perspective and, um, you know, if there's a mental health component to it, um, a trauma component to it, um, or anxiety or depression or whatever it might be, um, sometimes this work can get a person down. Um, yes. <laughs> Um, that he's able to look at it from all those perspectives. Um, and it's somebody that I trust, somebody that knows me, knows me well, um, understands where I'm coming from. He actually happens to be, I think, a, I think we would both acknowledge this. He happens to be a good deal more conservative than I am. Um, but um, is also real comfortable with not having to push me to be, um, and real comfortable with the fact that you don't have to be as conservative as he is to love Jesus. Um, and so that, that works well for us. Um, connecting with people is incredibly, incredibly important. Um, whether it's my wife, whether it's my kids, um, I'm so blessed to have a wife who is deep in the trenches of, of understanding what trauma is. She's um, uh, in, in public health and focuses on working with marginalized populations um, who are dealing with some pretty significant um, healthcare disparities and social determinants of health. And so she is in the trenches and she gets it. And that has been just an incredible blessing to me. Um, that we're able to support each other in, in the heavy, heavy work that she's doing. I can be a support to her, and in the heavy work that I'm doing, she can be a support to me. Um, spending regular time in Scripture is essential for me. Being comfortable to argue with God a little bit and to say, God, what the heck are you doing? Um, 
and he hasn't struck me with lightning yet. And I don't say that out of disrespect. I actually say that out of respect. Because God's big enough to deal with my questions. God's big enough to deal with my not getting what God's doing. Um, and so the freedom to express those doubts, the freedom to express the frustration, and at times even... God, I'm kind of angry that this happened. And I'm not just angry at the person that did it. I'm wanting to work through the fact that I'm a bit angry at you right now for letting it happen. Um, and knowing that I can express that to God, I mean, it's like not a surprise to God if I'm angry at him, right? It's not something that I've been able to successfully hide from God. Phew, I'm glad he didn't realize I was angry. Um but just to be able to openly talk to God about that. Um, as much as I can to get away, to take care of myself, to engage in things like deep breathing, exercise. Um, and then I think that this is also really super important um, for those of us who work with organizations that are really trauma-saturated. Whether that would be a church, whether that would be victim advocacy, whether that would be a homeless shelter, whether that would be a school, regardless of what it is. Um, as organizations, we ask people to put themselves in the line of fire. If we are knowingly asking people to put themselves in the line of fire... As an organization, we have a responsibility to help care for and protect them. And so it's also recognizing, um, in part, that Grace has a responsibility towards me, and I let my board of directors know what, what I need. Um, and I have an incredible board of directors at Grace. But it's also recognizing that as an organization, Grace has a responsibility to every single staff person, whether they're contracted or employed. Um, and if you're in a church, in a school, in a victim advocacy organization, in a homeless shelter, whatever uh, it might be, um, to advocate for yourself with that organization because they have a responsibility to care for you because they're asking you to step into the line of fire. Okay. Um, I guess, you know, anything else you would like to add that we have not covered? Um, I can't think of uh, anything else off the top of my head other just, you know, I've really appreciated the chance to have the conversation to talk about some of these super super important issues um, to talk a little bit about Grace too and if anyone's interested I hope they uh, check out Grace, check out um, uh, you know our website and um, other resources that might be there uh, there are other great organizations whether it would be um, Sacred Spaces who does some incredible work primarily in the Jewish faith community um, uh, and really encourage you to check out them if you're listening and you might happen to be in the Jewish faith community as just an unbelievable resource. Um, 
the Zero Abuse Project also does some incredible stuff, including a training called Keeping Faith that's coming up in October that would be great for people to attend. Um, and then checking out the resources that we've got on our website uh, at Grace uh, as well would be incredible. Okay. Um, all right, guys. Uh, thanks for listening. Um, as always, uh, follow us on your favorite social media platform and on your favorite podcast platform and if you have any questions always reach out to rachel and recovery at uh www.rachelandrecovery.com thanks